Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. Natalie Papier is a Charlotte, North Carolina-based interior designer and Instagram influencer, though she may not like to call herself that. Take a look at her Instagram page, Home Ec Op, and you immediately get a sense of Natalie's distinct point of view. No room is complete without a dramatic splash of color or original art. In a world of neutral home decor, Natalie's more than 130,000 followers are inspired by her Be Bold, Do Different, Be You example. As her reach has grown through partnerships with publications like Real Simple, Domino, HGTV, and Better Homes and Gardens, to name a few, she caught the attention of an editor who asked her, do you want to write a book? Natalie is in the early idea formation stages of writing a book and has a lot to share about how she is tapping into her expertise, passion, and even her social media presence to help her sharpen her big idea. But before we dive into the interview with Natalie, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about Tipster? If you jump on our site, you will receive a fly-in widget that talks about Tipster. Tipster is simply our weekly email that we publish on Fridays, and it's just that. It's a tip on writing and everything from flashbacks to issues on storytelling to overcoming the imposter syndrome, how to develop a writing life. And so all the content is, in a sense, stuffed inside an email, so it's not long. It's a short read, and if you want to view it on our website, you can do that too. If you really want to learn how to write and use one of these tips to improve your writing, I really encourage you to sign up. So you can jump on the website and type in your name and, well, it's your name and email address, percent, and you'll receive the next tipster. All right. Well, let's dive into this interview with Natalie Papier. Welcome, Natalie, to our podcast. We are so excited to have you here and learn about about the book that you are writing, working on writing. I know that you have so much to share with our audience about just the idea of formation phase. But first, we want to get a little bit of background about you for our audience and who you are. So can you tell us in a couple of sentences who you are and what you do? Thank you so much for having me. I'm totally honored by this. I'm Natalie Papier. My company is HOMAC. I'm an interior designer, self-taught. Moved from Chicago to Charlotte two years ago now. So it's been quite the, the journey, but I've continued my interior design career down here in the South. From there, it's just really kind of taken on a different life. So tell me about when you started your Instagram account, you were more sporadic than I was, I think, in posting. And there was a moment where you decided to really use Instagram and like lean into it and You did some really strategic things, I think, to grow your following. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your Instagram account is all about? 
Instagram is such a crazy place. And in the beginning, it was a place where you could just connect with other people who shared your ideas, your, your interests, your likes. And it was like, okay, I'm not the only person geeking out about this design world and vintage and art. And you were finding so many people that not only I just was inspired by, and also I felt like really I connected with on this level that I didn't have in my life prior to that. So one thing I've noticed about your Instagram is you really have focused on artwork and you began to feature artists in the community, not well-known artists and some well-known artists. And that became a way that you became known in Instagram. But how else would you say that people know you on Instagram? How would people, when people say Natalie of Homec, what do they think of? I think, and I, I would hope that they say it's this combination of art, design, and color. Those really have become my true loves in the design world. And what makes my designs tick is that combination of all three elements combined. It's been amazing for me because my background is in art. And I always thought, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be an artist. Well, that's a very vague thing and also a very vulnerable thing to put out there to the world. Like, I'm going to be an artist. And then you learn how hard it is and how saturated the market is and how do you do that? So I've just become more of an art appreciator and seen my own home as a blank canvas to create, you know, this different kind of art, this interior art where art could still be the focus. So if you were to give advice to anybody wanting to grow their Instagram account or any sort of social media account, what would it be? We work with a lot of writers who do that after the fact. You're kind of doing it opposite. You have this huge following and now a book deal is coming. But in many ways, to promote a book, you need to have some sort of a following. So what are your best tips for people who want to start growing a social media account, specifically Instagram, since that's the platform that you're on? I mean, Instagram has continued to evolve as you know we all have. So there's been different ways to do that. In the beginning, it was just kind of connecting with like-minded individuals and giving those people who are you following like props, social media, like putting them out there and saying, I love what this person does. I love what this person does. And then you get other people who are also interested in those people. And then the love comes back to you. So it becomes this full connection where you're connecting with people on a real level. You're not just doing it to grow. I think from the beginning, it was just very authentic. I wanted to stay true to what I liked in the design world and the art world and other people who liked what I was showing began following me for it. And that just snowballs because when you introduce a new artist or designer that you too appreciate or inspired by, or you like that gets their following interested in you. That's one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you are so generous in raising other people's work. And you also are one of those people, you get hundreds and hundreds of comments on your posts and you respond to each and every one. And I talk about a lot to people who want ask me, and I don't even have nearly the following that you do, how to grow an Instagram following. But this rings true for all social media platforms is when somebody comments, engage them because they're taking time to say something to you. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's me. It's just like a human kindness. Somebody takes the time out of their day and to come on to something that you're doing, you know, because they like it or they're complimenting you. That is such a gift. And I think you got to see it as such and just have gratitude for that. 
be respectful of the people who are taking time to come in and say, you're doing a really great job. And then in return, tell people who are doing a really good job, the same thing. And it's just like all the feel good moments like come together and it feels just super authentic. And also it just comes from a place of goodness. Can you talk about what it's like to be an influencer and how you maintain authenticity and what, what exactly is an, an influencer first to begin with before you talk about how you manage it all? The term influencer like kind of got popped on me after a certain amount of time. It was like once I started growing, then brands were reaching out to connect or would I be interested in doing this? And I think it was so organic. I didn't seek out to be an influencer. That was not the goal. And I still sometimes kind of struggle with that because there are so many influencers who do things because it's their job and that's how they make money. And it makes so much sense for them to take on certain partnerships. I have to be picky sometimes about what I take on in order to stay authentic because not everything is a good fit. There's some tricky parts and I, there's definitely some things that I've done that I haven't been the most proud of, but just like anything else, you, you grow and then you take a step back and be like, well, is this what I really want? Is, is this, am, am I gaining something personal out of this? Like, does this make me feel good or am I just doing it for money or clout? And you have to take a step back then. So how many times would you say you regretted a partnership without naming names? <laughs> not many, not many. I will say there's probably three and, and they're all very different of why. I might like something about them, but I don't like their how they wanted me to do it. It didn't feel authentic to me what they wanted me to do. Or another one was because I would never have a client purchase from this particular thing. And that, that to me was like, that is the last time I'm doing that because that makes no sense. It makes no sense. And then I lose my authenticity and that's how you remain true to yourself on this platform. This whole conversation about authenticity, I think is so important for our listeners who are trying to build a platform. There's this sense probably that, man, what does it even mean to be authentically me? You're trying to even wrestle with that most fundamental question. What does it mean for me to be authentic? Maybe could you just put a little definition around authenticity? Doesn't have to be professional, just, or is it your definition of authenticity? And maybe, and you kind of talked about this, but how do you know when you're going off the rails? And one of them was if you have a partner in which you wouldn't even buy the product, that that's a problem, right? So maybe define authenticity. To me, it comes back to just staying true to who you are and your beliefs behind that. And if it really is truly something you love to do, you love to see, you love to be part of. And if those aren't checking your boxes, you got to rethink that. You moved from Chicago to, was it North Carolina or South Carolina? North Carolina, Charlotte. That, that's a huge shift culturally. What was that like? And how did that influence your thinking about your work and your business? I think every place I lived has influenced me in so many ways. Like Chicago, when I lived there, and I mean, I used to go to Randolph Street Market all the time. See Melissa, that's where I originally <laughs> met her. And I mean, there is just a world, a plethora of vintage, of art, of exciting things to look at and see everywhere. And I think that's like what originally inspired me. And I lived in this older home. So it's about all those things that you learn about living in a big city and seeing different things and seeing different diverse types of art and culture 
and then taking that to your new place and bringing that part of you with you because it is totally different worlds like north and south they are just different in so many ways and nothing good or bad is what i'm trying to say for that is just truly there is a difference and it's about just staying authentically like who you are take your history with you and keep building from it somewhere new i wanted to ask you what is a partnership how would you define a partnership and I'm assuming once you get to a certain size with Instagram, partnerships come to you. You don't go looking for partnerships. Would that be true? Yeah, that's that's usually true. Unless there's something, a company I really like wanted to work with, then I would reach out to them and see if they'd be interested. And partnerships can go two different ways. There can just be a partnership where I really like this company and they're not paying me, but they will pay me in product. So like I'm doing it for this specific couch or wallpaper I like. There's other partnerships that are paid partnerships. And basically that gets a little bit trickier because there's usually more contractual things like not working with another company that might be deemed a competitor to them. And partnerships can have a certain longevity to it. It can just be a one and done thing. It's pretty big. How many do you take on a month? It really depends. I try not to take on too many at a time, A, because it has to be the right fit and B, because I actually do design work too. So between, between the design portion and the Instagram portion and responding to the people on Instagram and then working on these extra things like the book. And right now I'm working on a lighting line. There are things happening in so many different ways that it really has to make sense for me to do it. I was approached to do a partnership and and at first I thought, yeah, maybe I'll do it. But then they had all of these expectations about how to film it and going through this approval process. And I'm like, then that starts to clamp down on your authenticity. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that because all of a sudden this, this brand that you've spent so much effort in building can be chipped away at by just one ad, right? That you may be getting a little bit of buck for, but in the long term, is it really worth it? Does it make sense? Yes. And this has been the year where I really have had to focus on that because money is nice, but that's that shouldn't be the focus of doing one of these partnerships. And because I don't consider my time as like a full-time influencer, that's just kind of a Nice little side gig I happen to have going. It's not, I I can choose to be a little pickier for it. So you mentioned the book and I jumped on this when I heard you were writing a book. I felt like you've, you need like a TV show or a book (laughs) or something because you, you just are, you're kind of iconic, not kind of, you are iconic and you have this, this following of people who, you know, just, they beg for content from you. They slurp it up. They love it. And so I was so excited to hear that a publisher wanted you to write a book. Can you tell us about the genesis of that, how that all came to be? I wrote a post. It wasn't this New Year's. It was last New Year's Eve. And it was like, I just stated all the things I wanted to do. And I like, I was authentic. And I'm like, and I want to write a book. And then I feel like if you put that out there to the universe, and it's really meant to be, and you work hard for it, and you just are patient the things that are supposed to happen will happen. And I know that just sounds very hippy dippy, but like that is just like, it's been such an organic process. And I think so many people are just so excited to be like, oh, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write a book. And I just think sometimes you got to wait for it. 
you mm-hmm. just gotta wait till it drops with your lap at the right time in your life. So I did a real simple reached out to me with this opportunity to do a design for their real simple home that was in New Jersey this year. And it was published in the September issue of Real Simple Home. And they asked me to do the living room design. And I was so excited. Like, this is such a cool opportunity. I mean, Emily Henderson was doing one of the rooms. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yes, of course I'll do it. Was not a paid thing, uh, but you obviously it's a dream. So, you know, I did what I do and I brought in color and different kind of designs and I made original art, a focus on one of the walls. And it got like the opening spread page of the Real Simple magazine. And I thought, oh my God, like, whoa, this is so cool. But what came from that is I worked really closely with the Real Simple team and they were just wonderful people. And months later, the ex- editor in chief, the ex, one of the ex editors at Real Simple, who is now works for a book publishing company. She's a book editor now, reached out to somebody else on the Real Simple team and said, who is this girl? I kind of went down a rabbit hole of her design style. And I really like it. I'd be intrigued talking to her if she's ever thought about writing a book. So Stephanie from Real Simple reached out to me and made our the connection with this book editor. And so from there, I've been discussing kind of what I would write a book on. And she honed in on basically what I do right away. Like you do a lot with art, you do a lot with emerging artists. You incorporated a lot into your designs. Like, have you thought about writing a book on designing around art? And I'm like, I have, (laughs) and I would love to talk about this more, but I'm not a writer. I'm just not, I'm okay with doing like captions. I definitely want to keep my voice, but I don't know how to write a book proposal. So that's where it's at right now. I hired someone to help me write the book proposal. We meet via Zoom every week and I just barf out all of my ideas and thoughts and she makes sense out of them. From what I understand, there's a couple of different ways to do this. And the people who are writers obviously write their own proposals. In this case, I have somebody helping me with the writing portion and kind of clarify my bullet points of what the book is about and why and all the all the questions and the chapters and the layout. And then from there, the book editor looks at it and says, "Okay, we should probably focus more on this, less on this, tweak it, cut it, add something. And then it goes to the actual publishing companies to see if I have a book. So the editor then in many ways is acting as a literary agent. She'll be pitching you to different publishers or she has a connection at one exclusively or? A few different ones. So she knows who she'd like to pitch it to. And I guess that's where it begins. I, (laughs) and this is maybe it's the backwards way to do a book, but I didn't look into like different agencies or this just kind of fell in my lap. But what I have learned from working with people and connecting with people is if I feel comfortable in those connections, then I feel very trusting of that next portion. Like, so it feels like an easy transition to me. It just makes me feel a lot more at ease with like the decision. Can you tell us where you found a developmental editor? I I suppose that's what you would call the editor with whom you're working, a developmental 
developmental editor. How, how did you find this person? When we were talking about who could potentially help me with this, one of the people that I worked with on the real simple whole spread was Stephanie Cisco. And Stephanie Cisco had recently moved to Florida because she, to be closer to her family, she just had a baby and had stepped away from real simple. So now she's an at-home mom and she jumped at the idea of helping me do this. And because I've already established this relationship with her through the real simple, it's again, just one of those super organic things that happen. And I don't, I know there must be a million different ways to try to figure out how to write a book, how to publish a book. This is my journey on it. What we often tell writers with whom we work, people who are aspiring to write a book is for one, take opportunities that you don't, that aren't paid opportunities. Like you put yourself out there with the real simple design opportunity and it led to something really great. And we also talk about Book deals often come through connections. Mostly they do. I mean, you can pitch a literary agent and you can pitch a publisher on your own, but to have a warm introduction and to have somebody who believes in you really expedites that process and really makes it easier. So I love your story of taking on opportunities just because you never know where they're going to lead. And it's a good thing to make these connections and connections are so important. I wanted to ask just a little bit about If you're working on the book proposal, you're obviously working and thinking about the form that the book will take. So these types of books are a lot different, obviously, than a 250-page, 50,000, 60,000-word book. So maybe describe a little bit what you're envisioning as the layout for and form of the book. Right now, we're kind of focusing in on those three elements that really have defined my style. And that goes back to the art color design. Like how does the art, how can the art be the focal point in the room? And how can that draw inspiration for the room design? That's the premises of it. And how it's broken down right now, we're still kind of working on, but the chapters to me go on a very organic process of like art first, color, design, and like how those all connect together and intertwine to become original space, but hopefully an original space that's authentic to you. I think it also is very nerve wracking or your confidence flails a little when you think about something like, why am I writing a book? What am I actually an expert on? But I think when I think about my book, it's less about being an expert. Yes, I know what I like, but how can I help you figure out what you like and help you achieve that into your home? through art, through design, through color. So will you be photographing other people's homes besides your own? Is that part of this pitch? And the Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, I have my own art focus, interior style, but look what you do, Melissa. Look how, how many people on Instagram you find that have these beautiful designs that are really influenced in, and inspired by art. And what is art? And everything can be art from textiles to plates, to collections, to paintings on the wall, to graffiti, to murals. It's just an endless, it's an endless, endless plethora of things to choose from, which makes it really fascinating. And it makes it really unique to the people who live in their homes. I don't like these very formulaic books that are like interior books that are like, oh, first you do the rug and then you have to place this exactly on this portion of the rug and then you get two matching lamps. That is not 
reflective of anybody. That is just, that's just like mathematical equations of making things to scale. It's not anything that defines who actually lives in that house. And that bothers me. I want to see homes that are more reflective of the individuals living in them. It's going to be a great book. I, <laughs> I hope so. The publisher will be insane not to take on that book. So I don't even have any question that you're going to get a publisher. <laughs> it's just it's just who that publisher is going to be, maybe, and if it's a good fit. So you already kind of answered this, but is there any other reason why this book now? Do you think that there's a need for it in the design space, in the design world, specifically in this moment of time? Yes, because places like Instagram now and TikTok and all these things, you're getting trends just shoved down your throat on the daily. Like, here's what you should do. Here's what's popular. If you want to be popular, you should do this. You should act like this. You should hang this on your walls. You should use these on-trend colors. And we need to stop doing that and just letting people really figure out who they are and help their homes actually reflect that. I'm, I'm very tired of people doing the same thing and just this formulaic idea behind it and trends in general. It gets old. What, what are your hopes for the book or what are your expectations for it? Once you do get it out into the world, which could be a year from now or who knows how long, but what do you hope it will do for others? I, you've already talked about that a little bit, but also for yourself, do you have any expectations for it? I have no expectations. I think part of it is like, <laughs> I get so scared to really think about it happening that I don't want to like jinx it. Right now, I'm just enjoying the process of it. And then what comes next will come next. And all I know is that I will put my whole heart into that. And hopefully it becomes something beautiful and other people will enjoy it too. What are you enjoying about the process? You said that you're enjoying the process. What are you enjoying about this process? Because it, some people, it's a really hard process, but every time you talk about it, you light up and I feel the joy in your Instagram post when you talk about it. What do you enjoy about the process? I think it's really just fun. It's all the things I love to talk about. So it's fun that somebody's like listening to me talk about them, A. And B, it's just nice to really connect back with my own roots on this too. And like really start to realize that these things that I've done, there, there was something I, I didn't really know I was doing it. And, but now that I look back at it, I'm like, all oh, that makes sense. It's all adding up to this. Sometimes I just like how that connection comes together. And I probably just said that in the weirdest way, but no, I don't know what it no. is. It just feels like kismet. It sounds like as you're writing and starting to lay down the ideas for the book or the framework for the book, it's crystallizing and helping you kind of make all these connections from your life and putting a, almost a framework around it in a way, in a fresh way. So the act of actually working on this project actually is helping you think and crystallize all your, all your ideas from your life in some ways. You put that much better than I did. That was exactly it. It's very true. It's all these moments from my life and kind of brought together. So how do you deal with this so-called imposter syndrome that a lot of us feel? You're at the start of the journey. My guess is even when you laid down that goal, I'm going to write a book, you thought, eh, what? 
How do you like push past that? And how do you think about that? I think that would be helpful to our, our audience who all struggles with that. I think that's something I definitely have struggled with too. I think when I really put it into words that I'm not the expert here. I'm just someone who loves it. So let's get back to the heart of it. I'm not trying to push my ideas, my concepts, the love for the things that I love down your throat. Like, I just want you to take from this in, in your own way and develop your own kind of, I think a lot of people struggle to figure out what their style is. So sometimes it's something as simple as looking at, okay, what's a piece of clothing that you really feel good in? I ask people that frequently because people who don't like color always end up showing me something patterned and colorful and they love it and it makes them feel beautiful. It's like, okay, this is you. Why do you have all this beigeness around you if this is what makes you feel good? Like take a step back. So I think it's just helping people figure that out themselves too. And that reconnects you reconnects you to the why of why you're thinking about this book. Yeah, there's so much passion behind this. Can you tell me why art matters? I mean, this is, you're so passionate about art. Maybe you could end by telling us why you think art matters in our lives and our homes. I think especially in your home, when you walk in your home at the end of the day, it should be a place where you feel rested, invigorated. It should make you feel like yourself. It should tell a history of where you bought this painting and who introduced you to this artist. And maybe your child made this sculpture and it takes you back to that moment. It's all about those connections to me. Art is about feeling. It's about connections. It's just about living in, living in that moment, in the joy that it brought you. Well, Natalie, this has been such a rich conversation. Before we say goodbye to you, though, Dave and I are going to share our words of the episode, which we do every episode because we like words. And I will go first, Dave. My word is offing, and I had never heard of this word. And it has a primary and secondary meaning. And the primary meaning is the distant part of the sea seen from the shore beyond the anchoring ground. So it's not the, where the water meets the shore, but it's beyond, kind of on the horizon. So the secondary meaning is the near or foreseeable future. So this is the secondary usage. In his last year of rigorous study, the student was thrilled graduation was in the offing. So usually it's in the offing. Yep. So Dave, what's your word of the episode? So mine is another short word, elfin, E-L-F-I-N. And so this has, has to do with usually in reference to a person with small and delicate, typically, you know, with attractively mischievous or strange charm. That's how it's defined. So I, I was reading my favorite of all time authors, Annie Dillard, and she has a book called American Childhood. And so I'm going to read a little bit of a, a context. So this book, well, this section from American Childhood is about her growing up in this kind of classic American family. And so she's talking about the kids. So she says, our beauty was a mere absence of decrepitude. Their beauty, she's talking about the adults, when they had it was not passive, but earned. It was grander. It was a party to power and to artifice even and to knowledge. Then she says, our beauty was in the long run, merely elfin. 
we could not finally discount the fact that in some sense, they owned us as they owned the world. Mother let me play with one of her hands. She laid it flat on a living room end table beside her chair. I picked up a transverse pinch of skin over the knuckle of her index finger and let it drop. The pinch didn't snap back. It lay dead across her knuckle in a yellowish ridge. That's great writing. Classic Annie Dillard, right? Natalie, like you know great art when you see it, you know, this is the same thing. This is art. Those were wonderful words. Really. Yeah. I, that, that, that whole pinching the skin and it being kind of flaccid. I mean, you can just, I can see my grandma's hand and my hand is getting to be that way too, unfortunately. So, well, again, I want to thank you, Natalie, for being with us today. It's been such an honor to interview you. I, I can say I knew you when, which is very <laughs> exciting. So I'm really glad we connected and it's truly an honor for me to be here with you all. All right, Dave, I think that's all for today. You have anything to add? I don't. That was a terrific interview. All right. Well, I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. (laughs) 